If you have your Bibles, please go ahead and open them with me this morning to Genesis chapter 9. Genesis chapter 9. This morning we are going to study the second half of this chapter, beginning in verse 18. Here's what it says, Genesis chapter 9, verse 18. The sons of Noah who went forth from the ark were Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Ham was the father of Canaan. These three were the sons of Noah, and from these the people of the whole earth were dispersed. Noah began to be a man of the soil, and he planted a vineyard. He drank of the wine and became drunk and lay uncovered in his tent. And Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father and told his two brothers outside. Then Shem and Japheth took a garment, laid it on both their shoulders, and walked backward and covered the nakedness of their father. Their faces were turned backward and they did not see their father's nakedness. When Noah awoke from his wine and knew what his youngest son had done to him, he said, Cursed be Canaan, a servant of servants shall he be to his brothers. He also said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem, and let Canaan be his servant. May God enlarge Japheth and let him dwell in the tents of Shem, and let Canaan be his servant." After the flood, Noah lived 350 years. All the days of Noah were 950 years, and he died. Amen. May God bless the preaching of his word this morning. Folks, by definition, a stain is something that cannot be easily removed. Right, A stain can be a very stubborn thing. Folks, don't you hate it when you have a new shirt or a new carpet or even a new car and within the first day or two you accidentally spill something and it ruins it. I remember many years ago when I was younger I had just gotten a new car. It wasn't a really, really new car but it was new to me. It felt new. I was proud of it. It had a little bit of the new car smell to it. But, but shortly after buying it when I was... When I was doing a home improvement project for one of my bosses, we put cans of paint in the back seat on the floor. And the only problem was that somebody failed to seal the top on one of the cans. And so when I was driving along very likely too fast and took a corner too fast, that can flipped over in the back seat and white paint went everywhere. And I'm driving along and I hear it happening. And in that moment, I just knew there is no cleaning this up. That is a permanent stain. It will look that way forever. Stains can be very stubborn things. In fact, if you've ever dealt with a stain in a carpet, for example, you know that, that while you're washing it, while the carpet is still a little bit wet, it might look like the, the stain is cleaned out. But as it dries, what happens? You begin to see that stain return and you see that it is still there. And so you can try to clean it over and over and over again, but some stains just will not come out. The stain runs too deep. Friends, we have seen in these first chapters of Genesis that the stain of sin runs very deep in our lives. From Adam and Eve on, the stain of sin has affected every part of humanity and every part of this world, so much so that when God saw the increasing corruption and violence in the world, he chose to destroy this world, 
to wipe out humanity except for Noah and his family. He chose, in a sense, to to rewind creation. We saw in the flood narrative from from chapter 6 and 7 that that God, in many ways, brought about a a decreation of the world that he had made. It says that he blotted out every living thing that was on the face of the ground. This work of decreation was extremely severe. And then we saw last week the work of recreation, right? God reestablishes his covenant with Noah and his family. God beautifully preserves them from his wrath by putting them in this ark that they built and then keeps them afloat. And then after 150 days on the water, he places them on dry land again and he promises that he will never again destroy the earth in this way. And as a sign of that promise, he puts a rainbow, a a weapon of war, a a bow into the sky, and he points that bow not downward towards earth, towards humanity, but upwards towards the heavens as a sign that before he destroys humanity again, he will willingly pour out his judgment on himself. A beautiful picture of the gospel. And folks, I think that at this point in the story, we all expect that the stain of sin has been washed out, that it's gone. I think sometimes we can talk about Noah and the flood as if God's, it's God's second attempt at creating a world without sin. We think to ourselves, maybe, just just maybe this time the creation won't be ruined by sin. But folks, listen, that that was not the purpose of the flood. The purpose of the flood was not to have a new start free from all sin. No, the purpose of the flood was to actively demonstrate God's judgment against sin and also to show us, as God's people, the, the severity and the persistence of our sin. To show how deep the stain of sin goes in our hearts. I mean, listen... If ever there was a time for humanity to turn from sin, it would be in these first days after the flood, right? Noah and his family have just witnessed the power of God's judgment across the world. Wouldn't that be motivation enough to keep them from sinning from this point forward? Wouldn't that be motivation enough to keep them from living a a sinful life from that point on? But like that stain in the carpet, what we see in this passage is that the stain quickly reappears. It has not been taken away. And so listen, while this can seem like incredibly discouraging news, while this seems like very bad news, the the severity of sin here can actually point us towards a hopeful reality. While showing us how how deep the stain of sin goes in our hearts, the point of this text is also to remind us of how, by God's grace, we don't need to be controlled and condemned by this stain of sin any longer. Folks, here's the main idea of our message this morning. How you relate to the stain of sin in your life determines the power that it will have over your life. How you relate... To the stain of sin in your life determines the power it will have over your life. That's our main idea. And we have three points this morning. Point number one is simply a new beginning. Point number two, an old stain. And point number three, two responses to that stain. 
Let's begin with point number one, a new beginning. Folks, it's understandable that we would think that, that after the flood, there would be a completely new beginning. The, the way these chapters are written highlight the decreation or the, the reversal of God's judgment on this world and then the recreation of it by his grace. It seems like to us, maybe humanity is being given a second chance to not screw things up like they did the first time. And there are parts of this text this morning that are intended to make us think this way. Verse 18 says, the sons of Noah who went forth from the ark. There's a sense to that of them them moving forward. They, They are exiting the ark and are going forth in a new and fresh way. Right? We saw last week that God directed Noah and his family up in verse 1 to be fruitful, to multiply, and to fill the earth. Folks, that's almost an exact copy of what God had said to Adam in chapter 1. And so it seems like after this flood, Noah is in a sense a new Adam, a new beginning to humanity. Maybe he can fulfill the mandate from God better than Adam did. There's hope. And look at verse 20. We are actually led to believe that Noah did begin to fulfill this mandate better than Adam. Because in verse 20 it says, Noah began to be a man of the soil and he planted a vineyard. A vineyard, what does that remind you of? A vineyard actually is supposed to remind us of of garden imagery. It's supposed to remind us of the garden of Eden. And so, so this seems like good news to us. Because back in chapter 1 verse 29 in the garden of Eden, God had given the first Adam the responsibility to care for and to grow the garden, but we know that he failed in that and he was cast out of the garden. But here in chapter 9, there's a new Adam and a new garden. Noah is spoken of here as doing what God wanted him to do. He's become a man of the soil. He's having dominion over the earth. So we have a new Adam and we have a new garden. Folks, this is written in a way that should make us feel like humanity is beginning to be given an entirely new, second, better chance to not mess things up like they did the first time. Our hope should be very high. Our anticipation should be great for what's coming next. Maybe, maybe by throwing this world through the deep cycle of the flood, maybe the stain of sin in our lives has truly been removed. You know, if you are an artist, you you might understand what this is supposed to feel like to us as the readers, right? An artist has to work really hard at their craft. Masterpieces don't come out of of thin air. There, There are many attempts, many failures along the way. And so if you are a painter, for example, you know what it is to crumble up that that canvas and to throw it in the wastebasket and then to start over with a new, clean, fresh piece of canvas. Folks, as the readers of this passage, that's what we are supposed to feel here in Genesis chapter 9. The canvas seems to be clean. New opportunities abound. Success, sinlessness seems possible. But is it? Is the canvas really clean? Sadly, no, it's not. It's It's not as it should be. And so while we're supposed to have high anticipation for a better result, we're also supposed to see very quickly, almost immediately, that the result is going to be exactly the same. Why? Because the stain of sin runs too deep. 
It runs too deep. It's in our hearts. And that brings us to our, our second point this morning. Point number two, an old stain. An old stain. So the expectations are high. Maybe, just maybe, we as the readers should be saying, maybe the stain of sin has been removed by the flood. But, but it's not so. It's not so. We sadly see the stain return immediately. Look at verse 21. Verse 21 says, Noah drank of the wine and became drunk and lay uncovered in his tent. Now, listen, it's important to note here that Noah's drunkenness is not the focus of this text. The stain of sin that is being highlighted most here is clearly Ham's sin, which we're going to look at in just a moment in verse 22. And so this text should not be used as a text to preach against drunkenness. That's not the point of this passage. Now, I do think that we see Noah's failure here. What we see here is that while Noah was supposed to be having dominion over the world, it is through his lack of self-control, through his drunkenness, that the creation of the world is having dominion over him. And so, yes, we do see Noah's failure here as well. The new Adam has failed also. But again, the the, the focus is not on Noah's sin. The focus is on what happens next. Look at verse 22. It says, And Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father and told his two brothers outside. Now, what in the world is this verse all about? What, What is verse 22 saying? This is a very strange verse that I have struggled to know how to teach here this morning, particularly in a mixed audience with with kids present in the room. Parents, I am going to try to keep this to a PG rating this morning, but I have to cover a few details here. What, What sin did Ham actually commit? Well, folks, there are several different ways to interpret this, many different perspectives on what this sin of Ham really was. I'm going to list Three, probably the three most prominent perspectives on what the sin of Ham was. Here, here they are. Option number one. Option number one is simply the sin of voyeurism or, or the simple act of looking on someone else's nakedness for your own pleasure or gratification. And so a very simple, very re- literal reading of this text inclines many people in this direction, particularly because of how Ham's brothers respond in verse 23. In verse 23, they take a garment and they walk backwards. And it says very simply that they covered the nakedness of their father. It even says that their faces were turned backwards and they did not see his nakedness. And so that leads many to interpret this as just a sinful act of voyeurism and mockery on Ham's behalf that they did not participate in. But that's still a very serious Sin, And we're going to talk about why it's so serious in just a few moments. But, but option number one is simply this, the sin of voyeurism. Ham looked on the nakedness of his father and dishonored him in that way. Option number two is that this is some act of, of homosexual incest. So, so this option interprets the text as Ham committing homosexual sin with his drunken father. Paternal incest. The 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 strongest textual point to make about this option is seen in verse 24 when it says that Noah awoke from his wine and knew what his youngest son had done to him. 
It seems to those who hold this interpretation of paternal incest that there was some act actually done against Noah. And so option number two is paternal incest. Option number three is actually maternal incest. And so this interpretation actually says that Ham committed sexual sin against his own mother. And and when you hear that, you might be very confused as to why anyone would have that interpretation from this text because nowhere in the text does it speak of of Noah's wife being harmed. It doesn't even mention her here. So how is that about uh, his, his mother? However, those who hold to this interpretation do so for a number of, of fairly valid reasons. First of all, because later in the Pentateuch, Leviticus 18, also written by Moses, we see a long list of unlawful sexual sins that are not to be committed by God's people. And throughout that list, the sexual acts against another are spoken of as looking upon their nakedness. That's the description for the act. In Leviticus 18, verse 6, more specifically, it says this, none of you shall approach any of his close relatives to uncover nakedness. Speaking of an act. And then it says in the very next verse, verse 7, you shall not uncover the nakedness of your father, which is the nakedness of your mother. She is your mother. You shall not uncover her nakedness. So people see that definition in Leviticus 18 and apply it to Genesis chapter 9 and say that Ham must have committed sexual sin against his own mother. The, the second reason that many people believe that this is maternal incest is because of how Noah responds. Noah immediately curses Ham's fourth son, Canaan. He doesn't even curse Ham. And so those who hold to the maternal incest interpretation believe that Noah doesn't curse Ham himself, which would seem most natural. And Noah even jumps over Ham's first three sons and he curses Canaan. Why? Well, they would say because Canaan is the result of this maternal incest, that Noah's wife became pregnant and gave birth to Ham's fourth son, which is why Noah curses him specifically. So option number three is maternal incest. Now, folks, listen. If you want to know which of these interpretations I hold to, we can talk after the gathering and can talk to you about the strengths and weaknesses of each of these arguments in more detail. But but once again, once again in our study of Genesis, it needs to be said now that, that we don't need to know exactly what happened here to understand the purpose of what is written. God led Moses to write this as a way to show how quickly the stain of sin returned into the story. Folks, the stain of sin had never left. Noah and his family were preserved through the flood, but because they are part of the fallen human race, sin was preserved in their hearts. And God knew that. And this text powerfully shows us how severe and how persistent that sin in our hearts really is. The the stain of sin runs Deep. And listen, friends, as I was preparing this message, I felt like the the Holy Spirit was leading me to to speak directly now to to broken family situations that are present here this morning. Because regardless of what Ham's sin was specifically, it reveals how broken our families can become because of sin, right? Right? And so some of you are here this morning either coming from past family brokenness or you are currently dealing with family brokenness of different kinds. And I think, listen, I think we can all be so tempted to say no one's family is quite like my family. 
Nobody's family issues quite rise to the level of what I have to deal with in my immediate family, in my extended family. So many of us, friends, so many of us have the sins of addiction present in our families, the sexual sins, mental weakness, significant anger outbursts, abuse, all of these present. Family can be so messy. And I believe that there are some here this morning who, who feel like their family situation, it's, it's, it's almost beyond the reach of God's grace. That God could never redeem that sinful situation, which is your family. And I even believe that there are some who are very hesitant to really pursue Jesus. To really run hard after Christ individually and with your family to really get involved in the local church, to really become a, a part of this church community because you think that no one will be able to relate to the messiness of your family. But friends, listen, you are not alone. Noah's family was broken by sin. All of our families are broken by sin. Each family situation might look different. Certain ones might seem more shocking than others, but there is no family situation that is so broken or so marked by sin that God is unable to deal with it. And so listen, were your parents alcoholics? Did they abuse drugs? Has that negatively affected you even in your adult life? Was there sexual abuse or sexual misconduct within your home? Does that make you feel incredible amounts of shame and guilt? Was there or is there some physical abuse in your family? Have you ever spoken to anyone about that, friend? God does not want you to deal with that on your own. You need to speak of it. Is there depression? Is there suicide in your family's past? Teenagers, listen, have you severely dishonored your parents through your actions or through your words? And do you doubt whether you can ever fix that relationship again because of what, of what you've done? And friends, it's not even just to, it, to teenagers, right? Have you, have you hurt your, your parents? Have you hurt siblings in ways in your adult life that, that it seems like they could never, those things could never be repaired? Listen, church. We all have family issues. We all have brokenness within the home. It doesn't matter how severe, it doesn't matter how distorted or strange your brokenness seems to be. We worship a God of healing, amen? And he wants you to come to him with your brokenness. He wants you to come to him with your broken family. Don't allow your family mess to keep you back from the God of all mercy and the God of all grace. He is with you, and he is for you, and your church family is here for you as well. That actually brings us to our third point this morning. Point number three, two responses to the stain of sin. So the presence of sin should not surprise us here in this text or in our own hearts. It shouldn't surprise us. But the question is, how will we relate to this sin? How, how will we respond? See, the text, the passage in front of us provides two options, two ways that we can respond to the stain of sin in our lives. First of all, you have the example of, of Ham, right? It is clear that this, in this passage that Ham is blatant in his sin against his father. He feels no remorse. 
whether it is simply mocking voyeurism or whether it is a more grievance act of sexual assault. Ham dishonors his father and then he goes outside and brags about it to his brothers. Folks, it's important that we notice how significant this sin is, not just against his father, but against God himself. See, biblically speaking, to, to dishonor your father in this way is also to blatantly dishonor God himself. And that's what we see here in Ham's sin against Noah. This is a blatant disregard for the authority of his father and a blatant disregard for the authority of God himself. He goes out and he, he brags about what he's done. This is evil. This is a love of sin that is completely contrary to who God is. It is, it is so proud on Ham's part. Listen, some interpreters might even say that, that Ham's sin against his father is in a, an attempt to undermine his dad so that he, Ham, can become the head honcho of the dozen or so people who are living on the earth at that time. It's pride in him. It's arrogance. It's a grab at selfish independence. What's he doing? Ham is repeating the sin of Adam and Eve only in a far worse way. Ham is demonstrating that he is in the line of the serpent. Do you remember from Genesis chapter 3 when God told the serpent that his descendants would be at war against the descendants of the woman? God wasn't just talking about more snakes in, in the world. No, God was saying that as a result of Satan's rebellion, there would be a line of humanity and demons who are committed to and devoted to the Satan and his rebellion. A line of people, a line of people who rebel against God and ignore his grace and his goodness. Ham is a member of this line. Even despite the flood, this, the spiritual line of evil lives lives on. Sin lives on. And for those who live it out so blatantly, it becomes their greatest identity. And folks, that's why I believe that we see so many references to Ham's fourth son, Canaan, in this text. Not necessarily because Canaan was the offspring of Ham's sin against his mother, but rather because Cain's descendants, or I'm sorry, Canaan's descendants, will become the Canaanite people who are going to quickly become, in the pages of Scripture, enemy number one to God's people, to Israel. The Canaanites are those that at the time of Moses writing this book, the Israelites, the Israelites are about to go to war in order to, to enter the promised land and they're going against the Canaanites, against Canaan's descendants. And so God is saying here that to respond to the stain of sin in your own heart in this blatant and careless way like Ham did is to be in active rebellion against God and his people. It is to be at war with God himself. It is to be a descendant of the serpent. Friends, it needs to be said this morning for some of you that, that some of you are right now descendants of the serpent. You don't care about sin. You are living for yourself. You dishonor those around you and you dishonor God himself. Ephesians chapter 2 makes no mistake about it. If you have not put your faith in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, you are a son or a daughter of disobedience. You are a descendant of Satan. You are at war with God. But friends, but friends, this is not the only option for how to relate to the stain of sin in our lives. 
You don't need to revel in your sin. You don't need to give yourself over to your sin. You don't need to celebrate it in any way. No, there's another option. There's a second way to relate to the stain of sin in our lives. And we see it when we consider verse 23. It says this, Then Shem and Japheth took a garment, laid it on both their shoulders, and walked backward, and covered the nakedness of their father. Their faces were turned backward, and they did not see their father's nakedness. What a different response to their father's sin of drunkenness than Ham's response. Ham wanted to revel in Noah's foolishness, but Shem and Japheth refused to even look at it. They they turn away. Shem and Japheth know that to, to revel in sin is to revel in the very thing that the flood had just come against. And so they are following their father's faithful example. They are believing that that sin is not the greatest reality in their lives or in this world, but God's grace and goodness is. They they even walk backwards and they they cover their father's shameful nakedness. that's, That's the same thing that happens when God covers their sin and shame in the ark of his grace. They're walking by faith in this moment. They are believing that there's a better way to deal with the stain in their lives than just to give into it all the time. And so, yes, the stain of sin is real. They know their own sinful hearts and temptations, but they are actively, by God's grace, choosing to resist it. They turn away from it in faith and trust that God can deliver them and their father from that sin. Friends, this is the Christian life. Friends, this is the gospel-centered life. The Christian life is marked by knowing that you are saved by the power of God's grace and then choosing from that point forward to live differently than you did before. This is the whole Christian life, to know that you are forgiven of your sins and that your sin no longer has power over you. You can live separate. You can live holy. Friends, have you ever experienced uh, a material, a stain-resistant fabric? It's, it's amazing sometimes to see this happen. I don't know what kind of fabric they use. I don't know what kind of chemical they put on it or, or crazy magic they, they speak over it. But when you, you have a good stain-resistant fabric, you can, you can spill grape juice on it, and it just, it just drips right off. You can just wipe it perfectly clean. It doesn't stain at all. The fabric is sealed with something so the liquid is not able to get in. Church, because of Jesus, we are now stain-resistant to sin. Sin does not mark us like it used to. Your past, friend, does not mark you. Your family's past does not mark you. Your mistakes are not who you are this morning. Amen? You you don't need to throw out the shirt of your life because of the stain of sin. Why? Because when God looks at you, he doesn't see that stain any longer. When God looks at you, he sees the perfect, righteous, pure garments of Christ. If you have put your faith in Jesus... You're clean. God sees the the active obedience of Christ during his his life here on earth, and he he attributes it to you. You are now pure in his sight. No matter what sins you or your family have committed, faith in Jesus washes you of them. It makes you whole in God's sight. You are now fully accepted. No need for shame. No need for guilt. No need for condemnation. And not only does it make you pure in God's sight and free from guilt and shame, 
it now gives you the ability and the strength and the power to resist sin and to become holy, to become obedient in all of life. Shem and Japheth were able to walk backwards and not revel in that sin because they knew the work that God had done for them in the ark. They are descendants of Eve. They are walking by faith. They are of the line of righteousness, and so are we. And in chapters 11 and 10 and 11, we're going to see the grace that comes to to Shem and Japheth and to their descendants in the same way that it can come to us as well. Friends, how you relate to the stain of sin in your life determines how much power it will have over your life. Are you relating to the stain of sin like Ham did? Or are you relating to it like Shem and Japheth? Are you reveling in sin? Or are you actively resisting and turning away from it by God's grace? Or, friend, for some of you, maybe you are somewhere in between. Maybe you are a Christian, but you have a tendency in your Christian walk to grow very complacent towards sin. Maybe you have forgotten the work of the gospel in your life and you have begun to revel in sin too much and to not turn away from it as you should, to look at things that you shouldn't look at, to say things you shouldn't say, to act in ways that should bring shame, but you are fully comfortable with at this time. Friends, I strongly believe that there are Christians in this room here this morning who need to, like Shem and Japheth, turn their back again on sin, to turn their faces away from sin that is present in their lives. I believe that there are some of you who have become too comfortable with sin and that you have not been fighting for holiness like you should. And I strongly believe that you need to remember this morning, like we all do, that through faith in Christ, that stain of sin does not have power over you any longer. And you can resist and you can live a separate life for God's glory. Friends, we want to pray for you. We want to pray for you. We want to pray that God would give you grace to deliver you from these sins in your life. And so after the benediction here this morning, we're going to invite people to come down for prayer. And if you find that you have been reveling in sin too much, not caring about your obedience before God, friends, we want to pray for you. If your family situation is messy and broken and you are feeling guilt and shame about that, we want to pray for you and for your family as well. Listen, we understand. We understand how easy it can be to forget who we are in Christ and to become too comfortable with our sin of pride and selfishness. And so we just want to pray for each other. We want to pray that God would enable us to relate to the stain of sin in our lives by just running to Jesus again by knowing who we are in him and running away from sin to live fully for him, all possible by the grace of God.